Well, good morning, dear church. I uh, welcome those that have gathered here uh, this morning who now are lowering some masks. I haven't seen some of your faces in, in full in a long time. Great to see you. I wish I could see everybody through the camera and uh, to see you joining us in worship today and opening uh, God's Word. I come to you today in a, uh, it feels different to me today. It feels different as we have seen our country and our community uh, engaged in this very, very difficult uh, conversation, debate. Um, it's been a week like no other that I can remember. And I stand before you today feeling very burdened with the responsibility of opening God's Word and speaking into the day that we live. I want to be faithful to it. I want to be fearless. Um, and I want to be filled with faith. And so I hope that you sense all those things as I speak to a church that I pastored for uh, nearly 23 years. I love you, and I am uh, speaking as a loving shepherd today. Before we get into God's Word, I do want to give you some uh, glimpse into the background of the last week or so and what has been happening here at the church and in the relationships through the church. There has been a lot of listening, a lot of listening. Uh, there has been a lot of sorrowing. There has been uh, a lot of engagement. Uh, our lead elders, our pastors, we have been in essence, looking at each other, looking at the community, and we have been asking the question, what can Bethel Church do? What would God have us uh, to do? This was the main purpose uh, of a gathering we had Thursday night. Uh, the lead elders with the leadership from our Gary campus, we got together, uh, we ate some Chick-fil-A, and our purpose was to listen, lament, and pray. And that's what we did. It was a very special time hearing from our Gary campus leadership and, uh, and learning from them. This week I spoke on the phone with the mayor of Gary, uh, Mayor Prince, uh, who's a new mayor there. I have not uh, met him or got to know him yet. Look forward to doing so. Uh, but I had a very positive conversation with him. And essentially I, I said to him, what can we do? We want to help. You just let us know what we can do. And his response was, he said, the fact that you would ask that question means more than you will ever know. And I see very positive things coming out of that in the, in the days ahead. Stay tuned. We'll see, we'll see what God does. Uh, Friday, we had, our staff has not been together since the pandemic started. And we had a, uh, an all-invite staff prayer gathering here uh, Friday afternoon, and our purpose was to pray, to pray for our country, pray for our community, pray for our church, pray over uh, all the racial uh, tensions and struggles that are happening right now, and, uh, and we did so. We prayed that, we prayed for racial reconciliation, we prayed for gospel community. These are things that are passions for us. We also are looking at some creative ways to encourage our law enforcement families. Uh, talk about a hard week. Those that are involved in law enforcement and their families, and our hearts go out to them as well, and we're looking at some ways that we can 
be a blessing uh, to them. I got an email from a member of our Gary campus uh, this week. She wrote this, Bethel is in the game now. I am grateful for this. I pray that we aren't bench sitters watching around us, others around us act or react. My prayer is that we are active players in this game, however God chooses to use us. And that really is our heart today. And that's the heart behind this message today. I, 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 I could just continue in, in, uh, in Romans, the next verses, and that's typically what we do. We work verse by verse expositionally, but sometimes things arise that need to be spoken to by the church, and that's what we're doing uh, here today. So we're skipping ahead. We're staying in Romans, okay? So your bookmark still works, but we're skipping ahead to Romans 15. And in this passage, we have a prayer that the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes. It's a, it's a, it's a kind of a wish. It's a longing. And it speaks very well into this moment and I think provides us a way forward as a church in what God would have us to do. So Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 5, here is what the Apostle Paul, and we could even say God, prays. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. I want to talk about this racial divide in the church. But I want to talk about it by talking about somebody else's struggle with it. You know, sometimes when we're in the midst of things, we're, you know, emotions are high and, and uh, it's hard to see our own uh, blind spots. But when we see other people, we can see their blind spots very clearly. And we have that uh, going on here at this church at Rome. Remember, Romans was a letter written by Paul to this church in the capital of the world, the city of, the city of Rome. He writes this uh, incredible letter. But if you ask the question, why did Paul write the letter? Like here we've been studying this for, what, two years now. And uh, if I was to, to, to poll you and say, okay, based upon what we've heard so far, why do you think he wrote the letter? We might have varying opinions. Some of you might say, well, I think the Apostle Paul realized that we needed the quintessential statement of the gospel, and so he wrote this doctrinally deep letter, Romans, I love it. Maybe that's what you would think. Uh, others might look at some other, you know, like Paul recognized that in the church there was going to need to be this explanation of justification or union with Christ, and so he wrote a letter to make a historic, creedal statement about the core doctrines of the church. Maybe that's what you would say. Because we do marvel. You read Romans. It's this, like, it's the deepest book in the Bible. It's the, it's the most clear explanation of the gospel. And you could, you could get all wrapped up in the doctrines, and they are wonderful doctrines for sure. And, and in a sense, uh, you know, uh, miss the forest for the sake of the trees. Why did Paul write Romans? What was, when he sat down and thought, you know what, I'm going to write this letter to the Romans, and then and in my heart, this is why I'm going to do it. What was that motivation? Why did he write this amazing book. Many would say the, the greatest book in the whole Bible, if you got to pick one, or Romans 8, the greatest chapter in the whole Bible, if you got to pick one. Why did he do it? Well, we could assume he wanted a dissertation about the gospel. 
And that was his purpose, to plumb the mysteries of the purposes of God in the saving of sinners from their sins. And yet, we get to the end of the doctrinal part of Romans. We get to chapter 12, verse 1. And what does Paul say? Does he say, in light of everything that I've written now, here's my admonition. I want you to study, study, study. Amen. No, it's not what he does. Does he say, I want you to commit yourselves to expounding this truth forever and ever till Jesus comes? No, that's not what he says. He doesn't say, argue doctrine with anyone that you possibly can because now you know you're right. He doesn't say that. What does he say? Romans 12, verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual worship. What is Paul's aim in writing all that he did in chapters 1 through 11? He is striving for transformation in the church at Rome. These mercies of God that have been poured out to us, these are now intended to be turned in horizontal, ethical directions. The mercy of God motivating me to offer all that I am as an act of worship to God. So if his goal here is not to make scholars out of the Romans, what was his main concern? He hints at it in verse 16 of chapter 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, theme verse of the book of Romans, arguably. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And then note, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now my sermon title, I think, when I did this was the gospel for everyone. And you could look at that verse and say that's essentially the point. And he could have ended the verse, this gospel that is for everyone. But what did he say? He actually made a distinction for the Jews and for the Greeks, or we would say the Gentiles. For the Jews and for the Gentiles. What distinction is that? That is an ethnic distinction. Why does he go to the trouble to point it out? Because in the church at Rome, there was an ethnic divide between the Jews and the Greeks, the Jews and the Gentiles, Both of them within the same local church, but there was disunity. And it played out in in many different ways. We're going to learn in chapter 14, and what a fun chapter uh, chapter 14 is going to be. Uh, Because he talks about two different groups of people that were there in, in the church. He says, there are some of you who... You think it's totally wrong to eat meat offered to, uh, to the, in, the, in the temple uh, and, and for a good Christian to eat that meat. It's, it's totally wrong. You think you should just eat vegetables. And there are some of you that think there are certain days that are religious days that should be practiced like Sabbath. And there are some of you that don't. There are some of you that eat vegetables. There are some of you that eat meat offered to idols in the church. Now these distinctions flowed out of ethnic disunity. Because guess which group probably was not too keen on eating meat offered uh, to, to idols in the temple, okay? Those Jewish Christians, the Gentile Christians, or, or maybe the Gentile who now comes to faith and says, oh, that's wrong, but probably more on the Jew side. Guess who was a little more inclined to practice a Sabbath? The Jewish Christians now in that church. And so behind these distinctions, there are 
deeply rooted religious, ethnic practices that many of them, I mean, it goes back centuries for them. Now, you maybe hear that, okay, they're arguing about vegetables and meat. They were arguing about Sabbath or not. That seems so petty, right? Don't we sort of look back at the Christians of the past and think, you know, they weren't enli- as enlightened as we are today. I'm so glad that we've advanced beyond being petty about things that divide us, things that cause disunity. Oh, really? Think of the arguments we used to be having like three weeks ago about whether to wear a mask or not. Or whether the, the COVID-19, you know, it's going to kill us or it's a hoax. Online, things filled with people filling, you know, everyone became an expert on, on uh, uh, you know, germs and, and such. And, you know, all this arguing, even amongst Christians. Very vocal, I'm a mask. Are you mask or no mask? I'm mask. I'm no mask. Oh, well, then we're going to go at it here, buddy, because I've got the doctors on my side. Oh, yeah. And so all this stuff that was going on just two weeks ago, it seems so long ago now. Uh, you read that, and all of a sudden, the ancient Christians are sounding like who? They're sounding a lot like us, allowing these things to divide us. You know, when you look at chapter 12, as we've been working our way through chapter 12, there are all these admonitions in chapter 12, and what are they? They are, they are admonitions to love one another. They are admonitions to be in harmony with one another. They are admonitions to consider the needs of others more important than your own. Admonitions to be humble within the local assembly. You get to chapter 13, and there are exhortations that we are to be submissive to government authorities that are over us. You get to chapter 14, and there's all these self-righteous attitudes about food and days, and you take all of this as a whole, and what do we come to the conclusion about Romans? That Paul wrote Romans to get the Roman Christians to forsake ethnic infighting and to unite together in Jesus. That's why he wrote Romans. Hindering that were opinions and perspectives that were rooted in literally centuries of religious practice and cultural arguments that were keeping the Roman church from experiencing harmony. Now we look back at that now and we think, what was wrong with you people? Oh, I... It just seems so petty that they would allow something not that important, now to us, and say, this is so important that I am not going to dwell in harmony with my brother or sister in the church. But then we look in the mirror and we say, mirror, mirror on the wall, who are the best Christians of them all? And we would like to think, of course, that it's us. But then we see the self-righteous attitudes that emerge, particularly in times of turmoil, like we are in today. We see allegiance to political parties and political ideologies and political agendas, which keep us from speaking and practicing the plain truth of Scripture. I mean, friends, is it so hard to say 
that George Floyd was murdered and that that was evil. Why can we not say that? Maybe I can say it. I don't know if you can say it, but we should be clear in saying that. It was sin. Is it also so hard to say that burning and looting a shopkeeper's life savings to protest evil is evil? Can we say that as well? I mean, the Ten Commandments should allow us to make both statements and to feel outrage over both things because murder, Sixth Commandment, is evil, and stealing, Ninth Commandment, is also evil. We can't pick and choose the commandments that we like or that we want to feel outrage over. God is saying, here's ten commands. I feel outrage about all of them. In a few weeks, we're going to read Romans 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. What does that mean for the Christian church? It means that we honor and respect the governing authorities over us and we pray for them. It means that we honor and do what they tell us except for when they tell us to disobey God. It means that we say both of these things at the same time. We render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. We render to God the things that are God's with our ultimate allegiance being to the things of God because if Caesar asks me to do something that God tells me not to do or tells me not to do something that, God, that, that Caesar tells me to do something that God, you know what I'm saying? I got confused on that. It means I go with what God says. Like that's my ultimate allegiance is, is to him. That was the Christian ethic even when Caesar was feeding Christians to lions in the Roman Colosseum. Honor the emperor. Honor the king, Peter writes. So what am I saying? Well, I'm going to tell you, this is my perspective. You can judge whether it's biblical or not. I am saying that I am a Christian before I am an American. That I am a Christian before I'm a Hoosier. That I am a Christian before I am a white man. That I am a Christian before I am a Protestant. That I am a Christian before I'm a pastor. That I am a Christian before and above all these other things. That is my ultimate identity. And when I elevate some lesser thing, my politics, my opinion about this, whatever it might be, when I elevate those things above my identity in Christ, then I am going to have a hard time having empathy with my minority brothers and sisters in their pain. As H.B. Charles says, the Bible calls us to weep with those who weep. It doesn't tell us to judge whether they should be weeping. Which brings us now back to this prayer that the Apostle Paul gives. It is a prayer for racial harmony in the church, ethnic harmony in the church. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's take this apart a moment. Notice it begins with the word may. May, may God grant you to live in harmony. This is a, this is a prayer. This is a, a longing. 
It is rooted in the work and the person of Jesus Christ in accord with Christ Jesus. Accord. That's a, the word in the Greek. It's a thinking word. We might translate it. Be, think the same way about this. Be of one mind about this. Friend, can I ask you today, is this, is this longing for ethnic and racial oneness in the church, is this a longing that you have in your heart today? And if not, can you look into your Bible and realize that God's longing for this is not the problem, your lack of longing for it is? Because here we have the heart of God and the desire of God. Be of one mind. To ask what implicit bias, known or unknown to you, might be keeping you from personally pursuing more harmony. Now you might say, well, why should I worry about that? Why should I want harmony with those Jewish vegetable-eating Christians? Why should I want to hang out with Gentiles who eat meat that was offered in the temple? Why should I, I, care about such things? You might say, oh, so Pastor Steve, you're basically saying we have to agree with everybody about everything. Is that what you're saying? No, that's not what I'm saying. Read the early church. They didn't agree. Read the apostles. The apostles didn't always agree with everything. And yet there was harmony. How was there harmony? Here it is. The gospel overcomes or maybe I should say overwhelms the disagreements that would otherwise divide us. Be of one mind. Think the same way. Think together on this about the gospel. Now I want you to note here, he doesn't pray. I pray that all of you would agree with Rome's foreign policy. I pray that all of you would agree with the emperor and the decisions that he makes. I pray that all of you would, you know, so, uh, 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 you know, agree with the senators and all the... No, he doesn't. That's not the desire here. That's not the prayer. Could have said those things if he wanted to. It means this. If you are a Christian, it means that you and me have more in common in spite of possible ethnic disc difference or skin color difference. We have more in common than I have with someone with the same skin as me, went to the same school as me, grew up in the same town as me, or maybe is even in the same family as me. Amen. Can I say that again? I'm not sure everybody got it. I heard not one amen from online streaming. <laughs> if I am a Christian and you are a Christian, that means that I have more in common with you than I have with my random fellow American, with Joe Schmo who grew up in the same town as me, with the, the, my friend at the workout club, my golfing buddy, my neighbor, my... No, this is the one thing that ties us together. And when, when, we, allow, when we allow these distinctions to rise to a level that divides us we are minimizing the glory of the gospel and we are exalting those distinctions far higher than they should be. So think about that for a moment, white Christian. 
You have far more in common with a black or brown brother in Christ than you have with someone with your skin, from your tribe, and even in your own family. Therefore, the gospel is more important than skin color. The gospel is more important than the tribe that I'm from. The gospel is more important than my fellow Christians' politics, whatever that might be. The gospel is more important to a Christian than anything that would otherwise divide us. Now, I've been thinking about this illustration this week. It's so simple, I I almost apologize for how simple it is, and yet somehow maybe these simple ones are the ones that stick with us. But I've, I've been thinking about the crucifixion and the cross as it relates to this issue of racial reconciliation. And whether intentional or not, it is itself a picture of how the gospel unites people. Let me walk you through it a second. Did you know that a cross, we have a cross, simple cross, that a cross has a vertical and a horizontal. A vertical and a horizontal. And my understanding is when they would, when they would crucify people, maybe not all the time, but, but sometimes, maybe most of the time, they would plant the vertical uh, beam first in the ground. Perhaps that's why Jesus carried the cross beam through Jerusalem, if you remember. They would, they would have that already set up, the vertical beam. And then later they would, they would slide that horizontal beam into a notch in the vertical beam, and that's how they would secure the cross. Then the feet would be nailed and the victim crucified. So intentional or not, This is a picture of how the gospel unites us. It always starts with the vertical. It starts with the vertical. It is God and man. And that reconciliation is the foundation. It's what supports everything else, God and man. Now, as a a believer in Jesus, now I have peace with God. This is Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this reality is why, down through the centuries, mankind has tried desperately to bring about racial reconciliation without the gospel, without the vertical reconciliation with God first. And there's going to be all kinds of gatherings today, and things that are going to be said online, and things said on TV, people trying to solve the racial divide without first making peace with God. And history tells us it won't work. Think about how many centuries of division lie between the Israelis and the Palestinians. The Hutu and the Tutsi tribes in Rwanda. The Serbs and the Croats. Jacob and Esau. Pick your people groups. Try to fix the horizontal by itself and it will rip your country apart. And is that not what we see going on right now in the world around us? They want the horizontal so much they want the horizontal, but they don't want the vertical. And the vertical is the foundation. This is why God in his sovereignty chose when Jesus died. What happened to that curtain in the temple? It divided in two. And by the way, which direction did it divide? Top to bottom. God to man. The gospel starts with vertical reconciliation. But notice 
that a cross also has a horizontal beam. The vertical beam supports the horizontal beam. If there is no vertical beam, there is no horizontal. There on that horizontal beam, stretch the arms and the hands of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. His hands outstretched on the ends like his hands stretched to all of humanity. His heart right there at the intersection of the vertical and the horizontal. That place is where it stopped beating. And that cross pictures the eternal reality that the vertical gospel creates a horizontal gospel that unites an ethnically redeemed humanity. You know, earlier, I might even preach on this next week, I'm not sure. Earlier, we did the Lord's Prayer. You can't pray, thy kingdom come, and be a racist. You just can't. You can, you can say it, but it's completely hypocritical. All right, moving on. Paul doubles down now. Notice the next phrase. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. See that there? Together with one voice. What does that sound like? Okay? Whole bunch of people singing. We call that a choir. Okay? A choir. And for a choir to be a choir, it requires a whole lot of people speaking and singing the same song. Imagine that you had a choir and everybody got to pick their, sa- their favorite song and they all sang at the same time, okay? That's, that's not a choir, that's a cacophony. That's a disaster, another way to say it. For a choir to be a choir, everybody's got to be singing the same song, right? Now, I've never heard a choir that sings the same song all hitting the same notes, Okay? They might do a little portion in unison, but a choir, when you have a choir, you have uh, the same song, same page, but everybody is what? Hitting different notes. You've got the sopranos, they're hitting the high notes. You've got the bass singers, they're hitting the low notes. You've got the melody singers, they're sing- hitting the melody notes. You've got the harmony singers, they're singing the harmony notes. And you put all of that together and united in harmony They create beauty. And is that not the picture that we have here before us? Is that not the purpose of Romans here in the end? Think about this. The most doctrinally deep book in the whole Bible has as its goal a racially harmonious church. Now, some of you, you pride yourself in your theology, and trust me, I love theology, but you pride yourself in your theology Okay, and I I love you, but I wonder, have you considered the end goal of your doctrine is love? I was at a conference one time, and the... uh, the speaker, uh, this was sort of a, like a denominational type gathering, and so the speaker was speaking to these the denominational sorts, and uh, he, he gave an assessment of their denomination, and he said, you know, our doctrine is great, we just can't get along with each other. And the, my friend sitting next to me leaned over and he said, since when is love not a doctrine? It stuck with me because that is exactly true. And Bethel is proudly a creedal church. But if we are going to be a creedal church, it means that we are highly principled in our horizontal harmony, in our ethnic love, in our racial 
Unity. What does one faith, one voice, one song look like in a moment like ours? That's one of the questions that we've been asking ourselves. Like, okay, we're committed to this. We've been committed to this for some time now and doing many things. But what does that look like for us as a church? How can we read Romans 15 and Revelation 5 and so many other passages that show this ethnically diverse church operating in complete love and unity, how do we do that? What does that look like? What does that look like in a moment when our minority brothers and sisters, in particular, are hurting so deeply? And if you don't have a sense of that, I'm gonna guess you haven't talked to any of them. There is great anguish right now in the minority community of not only of America but of our church. This week I reached out to my my friend Pastor Mark Vrogop from College Park Church who has done a lot of work in this area and actually has a book coming out in a month on lament as a step in racial reconciliation. And I, I wanted to talk to him about it and get some of his insights, and he sent me the, the whole manuscript and gave me permission to share the main points, which I'm going to do right now. Uh, because I think this is, a, so many of us feel like, you know, we want to do something. If, if, if you have a pulse, if you have a gospel pulse this week, you want to do something. You're like, what do I, what do? I, do? I, I uh, This isn't the way God wants it. What do I do? And uh, Mark has five steps that he describes as the five L's. First step is to love. If you are white in America, you're in the majority culture. It is critical that our minority culture brothers and sisters know that we love them. Second L is listen. Now, we don't typically do that very well. We want to run to, you know, conclusions and such. But we need to listen. We need to hear stories. We need to hear pain. And try not to argue the point. Listen. Third is lament. And here now we're getting into the meat of what we can do. Lament. What is lament? Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Lament cries out. This is a very biblical concept of lament. You know, there's a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations, as an example. Lament is a cry out in pain that things aren't the way they should be. Lament grieves that and turns to God and says, how long, O Lord? How long are you going to allow this injustice? How long are you going to allow this evil to continue? How long, O Lord? And I would like to lead us right now in a few moments of lament 
for our minority culture brothers and sisters. In 2020, there are three deaths that are particularly painful. Brianna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and George Floyd. I'd like for us to take a moment and in our hearts, let's lament that these lives were lost. Let's lament the circumstances of their deaths. I call you to do that right now. Our great Heavenly Father, we cry out to you, how long, O Lord? Amen. We don't just say and lament. The fourth L is learn. Most of us have a lot of learning to do in this category. I know that I do. Let's learn together as a church. After listening, after lamenting, to learn. To learn biblically, to learn gospelly, to learn racially, and to seek to understand what is God's purpose for gospel community, multi-ethnic. What does that, what does that look like? The fifth L is leverage, okay? Leverage. This is the change stage in the process of racial reconciliation. What can we do to more align with God's purposes through the gospel for true gospel community? Now, my personality is to start at love and to skip the others and to go right to leverage. You can ask Jennifer. She's having a bad day or something. I'll be like, what's wrong? And she'll start to tell me what's wrong. And, you know, one sentence into her explanation, I'm thinking in my mind, well, let me fix this for you, shall I? And I want, you know, to quickly, and, and I, skip, I skip ahead to that, thinking it's somehow noble. It doesn't work very well as a, as a husband, and all the wives said, amen. amen. We need to slow down, in other words. We need to do it right. And that's our heart as a church leadership, okay? How, how many moments have there been like this, okay? This one maybe is unique in some ways, but cycles of this down through the decades, down, I mean, four, it's taken 400 years for things to become what they are today. So this isn't something that we fix tomorrow or leverage tomorrow. But we can ask ourselves, God, what would you have us to do? What can we do this time so that the outcome is different than the many other outrage moments of society? 
What is our aim? I think this is a good one right here. That together you may with one voice glorify God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so what's the, what's the vision that God has? One song, many voices, different notes, all blending together in a symphony of praise to God. And notice that this togetherness brings praise to God. That unity brings praise to God. I take from that that not being together dishonors God. We might even say blasphemes God and blasphemes the gospel of Jesus. And to that I want to ask, if we're going to be acquired together, how are you using your voice? How are you using it? You say, well, what do you mean voice? I'm not an acquirer. I'm, I'm confused. We all have a voice. If we were to roll back the tape of the last week and a half and the things that you've said, the things that you've posted on social media, are those things that are pushing us together as a choir to praise and glorify God by our unity? I gotta say, church, and you know I love you, but I gotta say it. There has been a whole lot on social media this week from some people who call our church their church that I would not call one voice gospel harmony. I wouldn't call it glorifying God with togetherness. Now I've seen people, they're glorifying their political party and they're glorifying their opinion. They're glorifying themselves But think about your words, spoken or written. Would somebody hearing you or reading you, would they think, wow, blessed are the peacemakers? Has that that been the tone? I have to say, as your pastor, I've been disappointed. And I'm sorry that I have to say that. But there are people that are fomenting the problem, not learning Certainly not lamenting, and definitely not listening. And here's where I think Romans, and we could go to so many other passages of Scripture, but this Romans passage, it can be our guide. So look, look at, if you read Romans, and, and, and let's say it was just one long social media post, okay? It's just one long social media post, and you thought, I'm going to read this whole thing. And you get reading through the whole thing. What would you conclude when you got to the end? You would conclude that the vertical gospel creates a horizontal gospel and that God wants us to dwell in unity with one another, including people that are different than us. And now think, is the tone of my life and the tone of my words and the tone of my communications, does it feel like Romans? Is somebody going to think about me? Wow, you are a peacemaker. Blessed are you. Do you take your listener or your reader where Romans takes us? Are we using our voices to sing the gospel melody and to urge people to come and sing along with us? Because in a way, that's where, you, you, the only hope for this, it's not Washington, D.C., okay? It's just not. Where, where are differing ethnicities going to find unity? They are going to find unity in the person and the work of Jesus, essentially within the church. 
And the, the calling of the church is to, as this whole thing is fomenting around us, is to say, hey folks, come look in here. Look at what it's like in here. Look at the difference that Jesus can make in racial issues. Look right here. This is what you're longing for. This is what you're looking for. And oh, by the way, it starts with the vertical, rightness with God. And it's got this horizontal, rightness with one another. Is this not what your protests are longing for? But that's why the church has to have its act together. Or they look inside, they go, that looks a lot like what we got going on. Why would I want to be a part of something like that? They're just as divided. They're just as, as, uh, as, as unloving as everything I'm seeing everywhere else. No. The church needs to have its act together. Now, I thank God for strides that we have made in this category. And if you've been at Bethel Church for any amount of time, you know over the last 10 years, we have, we have made huge strides in this area. I think that's why the mayor of Gary wanted to talk to me and was willing to talk to me. In fact, he said that. I know what you guys are doing. You're doing amazing things. I'm summarizing now. But it earned a hearing with the mayor of Gary. Things like that in the future is what is going to earn a hearing and point people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. May our church be such a place that when society is burning down, we can say, this is what harmony looks like. And I think surely if we were honest about all of this, we all can sing true to a heart of repentance. The words of the old spiritual, the Negro spiritual, it's me, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's me, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my mother, not my father. It's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brothers, not my sisters. It's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's me. It's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Amen.